0: You're listening to a sermon podcast from Lawson Heights Alliance Church. May God bless you as you listen. Last month, our anchor passage was from 1 John chapter 4, verse 14 to 15. It's one that I've been committing, committing myself to for this summer. And we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Hallelujah. Hey? That's awesome. And if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. I'm going to try to wrap my head around that more and more every day this summer as I wake up to him. And I hope you will as well. And as much as that's an amazing transformation that God has done in you, he's created that in you, hasn't he? And I mean, what could we possibly do to pay him back for that? Well, nothing really, can we? It's a free gift from God for those who declare Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the Savior of their own life, and declare him Lord, right? But a free gift is not without obligation to it. I hope you understand that. I mean, the very implication of being a disciple of Jesus is that you will obey His commands. As you journey through the Gospels, that, uh, the, the, the story that you see in here is for sure about Jesus in the Gospels. But it's more than just a story about Jesus. It's also a story about Jesus' disciples. The book of Acts that follow the Gospels is a story about Jesus for sure, but it's also a story about how the Holy Spirit emboldened the disciples of the early church and the early church and the gospel spread through them the letters that follow the book of acts like romans galatians first and second corinthians there nine and all there are letters there to various churches that paul started and they're all stories of how the church is to live out that great gospel that that is in us because of jesus in the context of their everyday life those those epistles are about the churches and how God is working in those churches. And all those letters and those stories find their anchor point in a special passage of scripture in Matthew 28. It's called the Great Commission. The point in the life of the disciples happened, this point in the life of the disciples happened after Jesus's resurrection. It's among his final words to his disciples before his ascension. Now I don't Take for granted at all that all of you know what the Great Commission is. There is a common phrase, it's a common phrase among us evangelicals in the evangelical circles, when the Barna Group asked a survey of churchgoers the question, have you heard of the Great Commission? Here's what they found. 6% said, not sure. 51% said, no, I haven't heard of the Great Commission. 25% said, yes, I, I have, but I can't recall exactly what it means. And only 17% of evangelicals, evangelical churchgoers like us, knew exactly what the Great Commission was. And that's a problem for evangelicalism in the West. Either pastors aren't teaching on it, or people aren't listening. Now, not long ago, there was three friends who went out deer hunting. One was an alliance pastor, one was a farmer, and one was a welder. And they walked out into an open field, just kind of taking the lay of the land, guns at their side. And at that moment, as soon as they cleared the, the trees, a ginormous buck entered into the center of the field. Each of them instinctively takes their gun, raises it, bang! And all of a sudden you hear, you, pff, this deer just drops in the middle of the field, and they went, I got it! Each one of them said that. Well, for the next hour, they argued over whose shot killed the deer until a conservation officer heard the shot, and he came a running to see what had happened, And they asked him, they said, how can we know who killed the deer? He says, oh, I can tell you. After a few minutes of examination, he told them, well, there's no doubt about it in my mind. The pastor killed the deer. The farmer and the welder said, in protest, how do you know that for sure? The officer said, well, that's easy. The bullet that killed this deer went in one ear and out the other. (laughs) Now, I realize some things I share with you Sunday after Sunday go in one ear and out the other. Some days you may be in a place to pay attention, some days you may not be. But I hope that you hear me on this. Y'all listening? Yeah? The Great Commission is a big deal to Jesus. And that means it needs to be a big deal to us. Right? Matthew 28, 16 to 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw them, when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some. Doubted, it says. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And very truly, very surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus makes it very, very clear That if you consider yourself a disciple of Jesus, if you've tasted of the free gift of salvation, then you have this commission upon you. This is your commission too, right? And notice how emphatic Jesus is being here. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth, he's leaving out nothing, has been given to me. Therefore, what? Go. Why did he say this? He said this to reinforce how big a deal this great commission was. Because remember verse 17. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but somewhat doubted. Doubters aren't going to listen, are they? In one ear, out the other. A message like this can go in one ear and out the other for some. Those who doubt the lordship of Jesus will make excuses for why they can't be expected to go and make disciples. But notice why they doubted. Verse 20, teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. See, that's the breakdown in disciple-making. That's why some will not go, because they will not obey everything that Jesus said. Some things, yes. The things they like, yes. Some of the harder things, yes. But going, maybe not. A disciple, though, isn't a disciple A Christian isn't a Christian unless they obey the commands of Jesus. John chapter 14, Jesus said it this way, verse 20. Do you realize that I am in the Father and that you are in me and I am in you? Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the Great Commission is a command, folks. And it's a big one. It's how Jesus intended his gospel to spread from one person to another, from one city, one country, one continent, one generation to another, right? You got to know the gospel because someone took the Great Commission seriously enough to share the gospel with you. Hallelujah. Now, one might wonder, how did the disciples know what disciple-making looked like? How did they know what to do? Well, they had a really good teacher for three and a half years. His name was Jesus, and this is what he taught him. Turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. We're going to begin reading in verse 2. It says, The names of the twelve apostles are these. First Simon, who is also called Peter, his brother Andrew, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, the sons of thunder, I love those guys, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Cananean, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, what's the first word? go. "...nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans. But go, rather, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim, to them, and proclaim to them as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, drive out demons. You have received without payment, now give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver, no, nor copper for your belts." No bag for your journey, no, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it, and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it, and if the house is worthy, leave your peace upon it. And if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet When you leave that town or house. This is how Jesus trained his disciples to do the works he did. This is how the Great Commission would be implemented after Pentecost. After the Holy Spirit came to the church, which we call the birth of the church. The the key was, once the disciples made their own disciples, those new disciples would learn to do the Great Commission work just like they had until they were able to make their own disciples. And all this is still connected to our last series, in that disciple-maker is part of your new identity in Christ, friends. You are a disciple-maker. That's your identity, part of your identity in Christ, and you can't escape it. Some people will try. They'll say, oh, that's not for me. I'm not the evangelist type. What they're saying then is, sorry, Jesus, I can't obey this command. Others maybe, sure, but not this one. You can't escape the consequences of accepting Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Implicit within the pledge of loyalty that you made is a commitment to do the Great Commission, to obey it. And just like those first disciples, you and I have a mission field. Let me walk us through that in a little bit here. Point number one is this. Own your your life network as your mission field. As disciple-makers, as that's part of our identity, we need to own our life network as our mission field. Being a Great commissioned disciple looks like this. You've all seen this before. This is you. 2 Corinthians 5.17 describes you like this. God reconciled us to himself through Christ, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. You've been given a great co-mission. Co-mission meaning cooperative mission. And you have been given by God, a, according to this passage here, a ministry and a message of reconciliation to complete that commission with Jesus. Sure, it could look like you going to Africa or Iraq or some deep, dark jungle somewhere in South America, but I don't think it has to be that complicated. In fact, it isn't. Every one of you is part of a network of relationships and activities that you know is your life network, and that takes you beyond the borders of your own soul. At every moment of every day, you're in contact with people who are far from Jesus, who need reconciliation. And you have been given the message and the ministry of reconciliation. Strange, isn't that? And we learned last month, if 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 in the center of you is a whole new you, transformed by the indwelling presence of God in Christ, that means that your whole self, body, soul, and spirit, are now inseparably connected to God in Christ. And that means you're also inseparably connected to his mission. That means... Your hands and your feet are his hands and his feet in the world. Wherever you go, you are going on mission for Jesus and with Jesus, right? It's a co mission, a cooperative mission, meaning you share Jesus' mission and he shares his mission with you, and you do ministry together there. That's why at the end of the great co mission, Jesus says, Very surely I tell you I am always with you to the very end of the age you and I are called to be on commission with Jesus everywhere that we go in our life network wherever it takes us whether it's among our family our friends our work our church our world our interests and hobbies there are people there that need reconciling to God yeah right who has and 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 who has God placed there is you in that life network as a minister of reconciliation, an ambassador of Christ. So own your life network as your mission field. It's designed by God specially for you. Show God that it isn't going in one ear and out the other. Claim your life network as your mission field, my friend. Once you've owned it, then what's next? Number two, as you go through your life network, celebrate the good news of the kingdom of heaven. As you go throughout your life network, celebrate the good news of the kingdom of heaven. Matthew chapter 10, verse 7. And proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The word proclaim here is often interpreted as preach, both in our Bibles and also in our heads sometimes. I read preach when I see that sometimes. And that might be why some people are shy about sharing their faith with others. Because they hear Preach. And they don't think of themselves as a preacher. Because that scares the snot out of most of us anyway. But that same Greek word for proclaim is used in other ways throughout the New Testament. For instance, in Mark chapter 1, after Jesus heals the man of leprosy, Jesus told the man not to tell anyone what happened, but instead to go and show the priest to testify what had happened to him. Just the priest. Essentially, he's saying, go to church and tell your pastor, but don't tell anybody else. Well, he didn't listen to Jesus. Jesus. Verse 45 of chapter, Mark chapter 1 says, Instead he went out and he began to talk freely, spreading the good news. Friends, you don't have to be an evangelist. All you have to be is a person with a story about how God has transformed your life, like that leper. Can you imagine him, after Jesus releases him to go, instead of going to the the synagogue, he goes to his friends and says, guys, look, no more leprosy, it's all gone, I'm clear everywhere. lifts up his shirt, tunic, everything, all clear, come, I'll show you the guy. He gets there, he's not here, but it was right here where he healed me. You wouldn't believe it if you saw it, it just happened, just like that. News like that spreads, doesn't it? News of transformation, and it doesn't have to be that kind of a dramatic healing, but the fact that you've had your sins forgiven, that you are a free person, that God has relieved your burdens, that he's, he's canceled your sins as far as the east is from the west. God has done an amazing work of transformation in you. That ex-leper was so excited that Jesus had healed him that he couldn't help himself. He had to celebrate what Jesus had done to set him free. And it says he talked freely, spreading the news. He didn't have to have a soapbox or a pulpit. He didn't even have to go back to his small group at church. Everywhere he went was his pulpit. His life network, he talked freely, celebrating the good news of Jesus. News that's worth celebrating is easy to spread, right? So look at all the stupid things that you see all over Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and TikTok that people are celebrating and sharing. They don't have any problem with it. Certainly, you don't have to be ashamed of sharing Jesus with your friends. Instead of them showing you their latest creation that they made for the dinner table, you could share what Jesus has done for you. This is what I mean by proclaim as you go. As you go through your life network. I was reading a book on evangelism a while back, and it actually said in Canada, it takes two years just to get into a spiritual conversation with someone. I think that's bunk. That's, that's not true. It can't be true, because that's not been my experience. And listen, I don't have the gift of evangelism. Sure, I talk up front with, uh, with you guys every Sunday, but... It's a learned skill. I didn't always like or enjoy. I was always afraid of public speaking growing up and into my young adult years. But I changed because I forced myself to. I wasn't always an upfront person. I remember my first sermon at a church. I was scared, spitless. It was on Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where Jesus says, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. So that's sort of Great Commission Part 2 for Jesus. And I felt that power to deliver that sermon, and I remember that sermon to this day, but I doubt anyone else does. My point is, you need to get to the point in your faith that you know what Jesus rescued you from so that you can celebrate that freely, privately and in public. You need to know what it is. It's time for the church to come out of the closet and start taking pride in the one who rescued us from darkness. Amen? It's time to start celebrating how Jesus changed our lives. If you are forgiven, free, a loved child of God of God, hallelujah, you have everything to celebrate today and every day. You should be proud of that and talk freely about that, proclaiming as you go the good news of the kingdom of God in your life network. He's changed me. Isn't that a great thing to triumph? Guaranteed there will be people who will tell you to keep your religion to yourself. Eh, That's inevitable, whatever. But that's a lot less likely if what you're talking freely about is more about celebration than it is a preach. Does that make sense? You know the difference, right? A celebration is you winning the lottery. You'd tell people that. You might not tell your pastor that, but you'd tell other people that. And boy, you did win the lottery with Jesus. But a preach is more like you wanting to convert someone to your religion. Sure, we want people to come to Jesus, but we want them to be able to celebrate the same freedoms that he's given to us. So figure out what you celebrate about your faith in Jesus. you got to spend some time thinking that through. What did he rescue you from? What got you interested in Jesus in the first place? Here's a simple proclamation that I use to interject the gospel into any conversation that I have with people. We call it the 15-second testimony. You see it on YouTube, on our YouTube page. There's a link at the very bottom of our website with a training there. You can go and click that, and you can find it for yourself and train yourself with this. It basically goes like this. Conversation with someone. You know what? There was a time in my life when I was lost, I was self-centered, and I was angry. I was angry at the world. But you know what? Jesus changed all that for me. And since then... I have hope beyond belief. And I have, I have compassion where I've never had compassion before. And I also have joy now. It's replaced my anger, and I've got joy, unspeakable joy. Do you have a story like that? All of us do, if you've come to Jesus. You've got to discover your story, though, so that you can tell it, talk about it freely. And here's the best part. Nobody can argue with your story. They, they can't argue with your personal experience with God. They might say, oh, that's nice for you, but it's your own personal experience. They can say, I'm not into God, but they can't argue about it. So what do we need to be afraid of in talking freely about our Jesus with others? So learn your celebration story and interject it into conversations as you go through your life network. This is how the gospel works, my friends, from one generation to another. And believe you me, God has prepared and will prepare people in your life network who you can be a happy ambassador to and will be happy to receive your message and your ministry of reconciliation. Guaranteed. Number three, go to where the people are. Go to where the people are. Matthew 10, 5. These 12 disciples of Jesus, these 12 disciples Jesus sent out, instructing them Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I was talking to a group of men lately about this, and one of them confessed that all the people in their life network was pretty much Christian. If that's your situation, then you just got to get out more. You really do. It's not good to have only Christian friends. In fact, I think it's anti-Bible to have, to have no non-Christian friends. When Jesus trained the 12, he first told them to go to their own people. Why? Because it was safe? You know? No. Well, sort of. When Jesus trained the 12, he told them to first go to his own people, not because he didn't want the Gentiles and the Samaritans saved. He had a plan for them later, but because he was training his boys. He was training the disciples. When you go downhill skiing for the first time, maybe even for the second time, you're not going to be hitting the moguls right away, are you, to start? No. Moguls are those ones that go like this all the way down. I'd be there on my bum going all the way down. I hate skiing. Anyway, (laughs) sidetracked. But that's how you practice. You go to the bunny hill, don't you? You go to the bunny hill and you develop some skills to be a proficient skier. You don't have to be a professional skier. You just be able to get down the hill, not on your bum, but on your feet, and you're good. But you start off at the bunny hill. Jesus was starting them off on the bunny hill of the kingdom ministry that he was showing them with the people who had, all, who had the potential already to be the most receptive to their message and their ministry of reconciliation. The people who shared the context of the Messiah. Now, God rarely sends people to lost tribes in Guinea right off the bat. He wouldn't do that. That's like the moguls, right? No, he gives each of them a life network as he's given each of you a life network. Because there's people there that you know. There's safety there in some of your life network. People who care about you. People who already have things in common with you. Your life network is your bunny hill, so to speak. It's, a, it's still a bit intimidating if you're inexperienced, but if you want to have fun, you got to take a risk, right? And that means you got to get out more into your life network. Broaden your life network. You know, part of the problem is, is that as you get older, because of a lack of intention, your life network, which is quite large at one time when you were younger, starts to get smaller and smaller and smaller because your family, your friends your work capacity, all those things began begin to shrink till all that's left are your Christian friends at school or at church. But it doesn't have to be that way. With some intention, you can broaden your life network at any age, right? Now, even if you're, all of your friends are dying, go make new friends. You got to get out more is what I'm saying. Get involved in activities that connect you to people beyond your life network. And they're not in front of your TV Okay? I don't know if you've noticed, but there's nobody standing there in front of your TV. They're not within these four walls. They're in your hobbies and interests, so go there. They're across the street, so make an invitation. They're at work, so throw a barbecue for your workmates. They're in political and social groups throughout the city, so get involved. Don't sit with the same people on the bus every week or in class or at lunch. Broaden your horizons. If you live alone grab a checkerboard or a cribbage board and go play games with the seniors that hang out at the food court every week that are also bored and lonely, sitting by themselves. Or buy a bocce ball set and go hang out with the Hindu men that are sitting around the corner at the bus stop just kind of shooting the breeze every day, all day long. I know it's hard to do because it pushes you out of your comfort zone, doesn't it? And I know it's hard to do also because you already have so little free time. Perhaps it might be a time for you to look at your timetable, your, time, your schedule, and say, what are the things that I'm involving myself in that really are not going to make an eternal difference in my life or in my kids' lives? How can I broaden my horizons to get more involved with people who don't know Jesus, who are far from Him? i got to tell you, I feel it too, I know, but proclaiming as you go means we got to go somewhere, right? In fact, the Great Commission, the Great Co-Mission, Jesus says, go. He doesn't say, stay. Have you ever noticed that? So start a hobby. Find some other people who share your interests with and connect with them. The beauty of your life network being your mission field is that you don't have to go very far to be a missionary. You don't have to change anything, really, to get started or add anything to an already busy life. Just look at the things that you're already doing and say, I'm going to be on mission there. Just look around. What are you already doing that you can own as your mission field and go there? Point number four. The kingdom is at hand, Jesus said, but the kingdom of it is at hand means you got to be prepared to do kingdom work the way Jesus did. The kingdom is at hand means you got to be prepared to do the kingdom work Jesus did. Matthew 10, 7-8 And proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without pay, now give without pay. Oftentimes people don't realize that they're lost until something is broken in their life. Until they're hurting, until they're in need of a savior. It might be a relationship that someone in your life network has, or it might be an activity like work or maybe family or friends. They might be themselves. They might be broken. They might be experiencing some spiritual burdens in their lives that they just can't seem to break free of. Or it might be their health. Then they will do what we all do, or all did. They will try praying. Ah, give it a shot. What else could it hurt? Which means it usually turns into begging God, and it might even turn to bribing God. All in an attempt to try to get the God that they didn't want involved in their life in the first place, to now helping them heal that certain something that is broken in their life beyond their repair. Here's where you come in. In fact, you become an answer of prayer at this point. You bring Jesus into their complicated, hurting, burdened lives. And especially if you already have been celebrating what Jesus has done to rescue you, that will be an open door for them to approach you right? They'll know who to come to if you've already been talking freely about what Jesus has done in your life. And when you see them hurting, when they are vulnerable enough to share what's going on in their world, friends, that's your cue as a minister of the gospel of Jesus to put your collar on and to say, hey, there was a time in my life when I was lost too, or when I was angry too, or I was broken too, but then I met Jesus, And he changed everything for me. When you see them hurting, that's your cue to walk into their lives and to bring Jesus with you. The one who cares for them. The one who accepts them. The one who can free them. And the one who can heal them. The one who can save them. Right? You know, there was a time in my life when is a good entry point. The kingdom of God is at hand, my friends. In your life network. When you look at your life network, I hope you grab that every morning and pray it through and you say, The kingdom of God is at hand in my life network. It's ready to to blossom today. I hope you can see it on the horizon for your family, your friends, your work, your everything. When Jesus trained his disciples to be ministers of the kingdom of heaven, you know what he taught them to do? He taught them to do what he did in dependence on the Father. Remember last week, you can minister healing by meeting everyday physical needs of people, by praying for their sicknesses and their troubles. Keep remembering to look at the center of your life network. Who is at the center of you? Christ. He is there at the center of me. And isn't it the same Jesus who holds the authority that was there with the disciples? The same Jesus who's at the center of you? doesn't he have the same authority to do wonders? Well, if the same Jesus is in you, that gave that authority to the disciples to cast out demons, to pray for the sick, if you are in Christ and Christ is in you, what does that mean for you and who you are when you're among your life network? You are a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ with a ministry and a message of reconciliation. It means Jesus is in the room with you. So you have nothing to fear. The kingdom of heaven is at hand for them, for your friends. And Jesus is there waiting to minister. So proclaim as you go. So own your life network as your own mission field. As you go through your life network, celebrate the good news of the kingdom of heaven. Go to where people are. And the kingdom of God is at hand means you got to be prepared to do kingdom work without fear because God is with you let's pray Father thank you for your word thank you for including us in such a great commission thank you Lord that you are with us we couldn't do anything much less be a witness without you you are our everything Lord we are in you and you are in us And, Lord, you have designed it that way so that the world may know that the Father sent the Son to save the world from their sins. Use us in this great commission, Lord, we pray. We humble ourselves before your word today, and we promise not to let it go in one ear and out the other. We promise to be doers of it. In Jesus' name, amen.